You're listening to The Public Sector Show by Tech Tables, a podcast dedicated to sharing human-centric stories from CIOs and technology leaders across the city, county, state, and federal agencies, joining in the conversation and touching the hearts and minds of leaders across technology today. From mission-driven leadership to cloud, AI to cybersecurity, workforce challenges, and more, never miss insights from peers and vendor partners across the public sector. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to techtables.com and drop your email to subscribe. New podcast episodes come out every Tuesday and Thursday, along with weekly behind-the-mic newsletter. And one of today's podcast sponsors is Tech Tables Plus, an engaging new community where you can have early access to never-before-released episodes, early access to live event recordings, early access to weekly three interesting learnings, early access to live event ticket purchases, no episode ads, and more, plus three extra special bonuses when you sign up today. Bonus number one, access to the CEO show. Bonus number two, access to the Higher Ed Show. And bonus number three, access to the Digital Show. Join Tech Tables Plus today. As always, thank you for supporting the Tech Tables Network. Today we have Patsy Boozer, CISO for the City of San Antonio. Patsy, welcome to the Public Sector Show by Tech Tables. Thank you. Glad to be here. I got to get a shout out to our friend Craig Hopkins for introducing us. I know, like myself, uh, he will be very excited to hear this episode as, as we dive in today. So, Patsy, for those who don't know who you are, take us back to your 17-year-old Navy version of yourself leading into how you got into cybersecurity as a profession. Sure. Well, I decided right out of high school that I was going to join the military. My father and my grandfather had done. Um, so at, when I graduated at 17, I took a month off, and then I joined the Navy. And then I was able to go through a I spent about eight, almost a year, and then I was able to get into a program called Boost, the Broaden Opportunity for Officer Selection and Training. And then through that program out in San Diego, I was able to go to college and get my commission. So when I went to, to I went to the University of South Carolina, go Gamecocks. And so when I graduated from college, I graduated kind of out of cycle. It was New Year's Eve, and so I had had just gotten married. And so we were headed to Hawaii, but I needed to go to a school in California. And honestly, I had not really opened the package that they handed me on New Year's Eve because we jumped in the car and we were headed. I knew I was going to California and I had an address. Well, then my new husband says, you might better open up your orders and see kind of like where we're going en route to Honolulu. So when I opened it, it said Digital Electronics Corporation. And I started reading about what I was going to do, and I'm like, this sounds like computers. And that was not my major in college. I had punched cards to earn some money on the mainframe in college, but I was not, in, I'd not been part of the computer science curriculum. So I got there and to deck, and it was at the time when mainframes were moving over to the PDP 1170s, minis. I am dating myself there. Um, but I walked in and people around the table started introducing themselves and they were from Boeing or they were from like large corporations and then it was one Navy lieutenant and then there was me, the ensign. And so I introduced myself and I had no experience. And so I had to, and then I found out this was an assembler class for programming. So I spent my nights learning how to do assembler programming so that I could go and take care of a data center in Camp Smith, Intelligence Center Pacific in Hawaii, and convert them from mainframe to the PDP 1170s. 
And that was where my IT career, all by accident, I found out later that when they merged my, my enlisted records to my officer record, they put someone else's transcript in my record. And so they were a computer science individual. And so that's how they detailed me. But I got there, spent four years, fell in love with computers, fell in love with Navy intelligence. Then I went off to another, another assignment, but then ended up at the Naval Postgraduate School and got my master's in computer science. And so then cyber and everything that followed came after that until I retired, retired and moved on to the commercial world doing the same thing. Yeah, we're going to unpack that in a second. And you say retired in, in loose terms. Also, I don't know what a mainframe is. No, I'm totally kidding. But that is before my time for the most part. For the most part. I only know what the clock. I know what a VCR is. Does that, you know, I'm talking. Yeah. So, okay. So we've got the career. You retire. And if you're watching this on video or in audio, I guess you're listening on audio and not on video. I'm kind of doing this in quotes because then you go to the private sector. And could you just maybe talk about the journey from the private sector and then the kind of leading how you get to San Antonio, and then we'll kind of unpack a little bit more from there. Oh, sure. So while I was in San Diego, I don't think that things just fall, come easy for me. I don't mean for it to sound this way. But I had put in my, I had made it known that I was going to be retiring. And so my admin, at the time, I had 18 message centers on the West Coast for the Navy that I was having to shut down and convert into three so that we could go from paper to automated mm-hmm. and all the security that goes with those. And so it had been a wonderful five-year journey. And I mentioned to her that I was going to retire. Well, she comes in, hands me a resume, and then says, you have an appointment for an interview for your next job two days from now at with the Fortune 500 company. So I said, oh, okay, thank you. So I went to the interview and I was hired. And so that kind of started, I retired, took a week off <laughs> and then went and started with the company. And one of the first things that I did was to build out a public key infrastructure project with the Department of Defense and then the Navy PKI. And so with that company, I was able to just learn across all verticals, I mean, banking, oil and gas, local government, FBI. So it was an amazing time. I spent almost 18 years there and then ended up here in San Antonio and with the company. I was also the director of security at that company. And then I also built a security operations center while I was there in San Diego. And then I came to the city of San Antonio. And again, that was kind of a People are going to think it came easy for me. I had decided to stay in San Antonio instead of go and move to another position at the company back on the islands in Hawaii. And I got a call, and it was from the city HR department. And they said, we hear that you're going to be in San Antonio, and we have a position open as the first chief information security officer for the city. And so I came in, and I interviewed, and I was hired. And I am the first and only chief. Well, I was chief information security officer, and now I'm the chief security officer because I have physical and cyber and That's awesome. And, okay, so that gets us caught up. And where are you right now? For those who are watching on video, you are? I am at the Alamo Regional Security Operations Center. So, again, be, being a cybersecurity team, it's always great to have a security operations center. We used to live in a small little space with four desks and two, uh, 
three offices. And then as the team was growing, and of course, San Antonio as the seventh largest city in the country, we have a pretty big footprint with 43 different departments and security responsibilities for the entire city. So we were able to get mayoral support and city council, and of course, Craig Hopkins, who you talked about, he was a big supporter, my CIO, the CIO and, my, and my director, supervisor. And so he, we were able to start the Alamo Regional Security Operations Center and so the facility is designed to be a collaborative mutual aid environment uh, that we're very proud of because it's to help not just maintain and monitor the networks for the city of San Antonio, but also to help the regional, help the entire region, including municipal governments that are around us and then other municipal components of the city of San Antonio. I love this because you're the first one. I think we've done 130 episodes or so. We have yet to have the background actually be the security operations center, which I think is pretty awesome. I think it's pretty cool. I love this. So Patsy, yeah, on my episode with Craig, so he mentioned a theme from his time in the Coast Guard about having a greater purpose bigger and being just bigger than himself, which I think coaching high school basketball this is one of the great things I think teams instill. And I think what winning teams and great teams really have is this bigger purpose in themselves. So I absolutely love this concept. From our talk, I feel like you kind of expressed the same sentiment. What did you take away from the Navy as a patriot that you've instilled in the culture of San Antonio cybersecurity today? Well, I think before it was ever called servant leadership, that's pretty much what my mentors and I grew up in, in the Navy. I, I was a female among mostly male officers in my profession, but they were always respectful. And we really had work with something that we strive for. And it wasn't just teamwork as in to get the mission done. It was what's going to be the betterment, not just of our organization, but of our country and I kind of, when I left the Navy, I left there with this motivation, not just to accomplish goals and accomplish the next job that I had, but it was, how do I do it by displaying effective leadership and putting others, you know, before, putting other, others before myself and also putting others and letting them be able to develop and become the best that they could be and perform at their best. Because when a team works together, and I know that's what, you know, Craig, we aspire to here, one team, one mission, which is kind of his slogan that he's put in place for us. You can do a lot alone, but you can do so much more together. And so every person that's on my team, I, I try to get to know that person. I try to know what their skills are, what's going to be worth they're going to excel at. How can I help them in the areas that they might need to be strengthened in? And when I do stretch their mistakes a lot, because some of them, they don't like public speaking. I'm going to put them on one of our joint task force and let them get out there with the public or with their, the rest of the team. And then they come back and, oh, yeah, that was fun. So, and that was the things that I learned in the Navy was you, you had to do it all. You had, and then especially not just the Navy, but, you know, I give credit to my parents as well. We grew up in a rural community and we had to work hard. And if you didn't work together, there was a lot of farm animals to take care of and tasks to accomplish. And it was easier to just get it all done together. And that's what I saw in the Navy as well. I love this. So 
City of San Antonio, we've got this, and I guess Craig's kind of championing the one team, one mission. And what you said was, was so good because it's almost this force multiplier effect where you can't just get a bunch of individuals. And you see this in sports and in other areas where even if you get a bunch of talented individuals, if they don't actually work together, they just are all doing their own thing. When you get the team to buy in, it is a force multiplier. And it is incredible to see what teams can accomplish. And um, the last thing that I was thinking about was you talked about displaying effective leadership. I was kind of curious, like maybe what are your favorite two to three kind of insights or leadership lessons that you've learned along the way about displaying effective leadership? It's when we activate or when something's going on, I get in there with them. I don't, and I know delegation is a, is a part of, a big part of leadership, and you have to learn to do that. You can't accomplish everything, but I also try to lead by example. So when there's something going on the floor or there's something that needs to be analyzed, I get out there with them, and I don't ask them to do anything that I wouldn't do. And then I don't, there's no task that's too small and there's no task that's too large if you, like say, if you use that force multiplier. And so sometimes it's a learning curve, but sometimes it's just you see that, oh, we know that you're really good at threat hunting. And I know some of these are the cyber concepts, but, you know, I've got someone who's really good at threat hunting and someone that's really good at pen testing. And then I've got someone else who's really good at documenting. Well, if we're going to be doing something, we've got to write the reports and we've got to document. So... When, we, when I pull all that together, and if I'm the one that needs to grab the, the laptop and start doing the documentation, then I really, I really just think it is a team effort, and I don't want to just be someone who delegates all the work to my team. I want to be all right. Yeah, I love that. And leading by example, um, stuff, my, my high school analogy is every year, especially on the JV team, you get Fresh, I call it fresh recruits because every year you lose your JV team to the varsity and for the most part. So you get these incoming, the best incoming freshmen typically will go to the JV team and exactly what you said, kind of, so lead by example. One of the things I found that's really funny with, at least with kids, and I think it's true with adults too, is if you can jump in on the court, it's probably the quickest way to earn their respect and get buy-in for the team. I haven't found a quicker way. So that. Right now, I know I look young on the camera, Patsy, but my, my, my body is not as young as a 16-year-old male, So, but I still lace up the basketball shoes to show the kids that coach still has some game. But it's very it's leading by example. I think it just creates the buy-in that's needed to really get the organization as a whole or the team as a whole to have this one team, one mission philosophy. So I love that you mentioned that. Sometimes on the food runner. Yes. Yes. I love that. Yeah. The food runner. I'm sure there are late nights where you might even take out the trash. It's kind of like being an entrepreneur. You wear 50 different hats and you don't care what hat you're putting on. It's just what is required to wear that hat for the day. So yeah, I love that. And then Lee with the example, so really funny. If anyone's on camera right now, I was joking off camera, but most people don't see, but 
That's my wife, Jamie, right there. I know live on the podcast, we have never done that before. We've never yet actually turned the camera on her. But yeah, so she's editing podcasts right next to you right now. And so we kind of jump in together and collaboratively and make that happen. So uh, on our intro call, you had mentioned, I don't, you had this great quote I actually took down. I don't know if you have come into the city with, you couldn't have come into the city without your private sector experience. And I thought that was incredibly insightful. Could you maybe talk about the benefits of working in the private sector? I know you were kind of burning out at the 18 hours. That's kind of, maybe that's like the con piece of it, but could you maybe just talk about the benefits from the 200 security engineers and building a security operations center that prepared you for this tour of duty that in government right now? Oh, sure. Yeah. It started with burning out. So yeah. And you went through it. I can sympathize with you. Yeah, what I meant by that comment was is that when you're at a city, if you think about your own city, especially if you're in a larger municipal area, you've got banking, you've got all the the security around finances, you've got public safety, airports, we have conventions, we've got convention in Alamodome for sporting events. So there's, we have health organizations. And so when you start looking at all that, and security is a lot about regulatory compliance, then you start looking at payment card industry and um, healthcare with HIPAA and state healthcare laws and criminal justice, what we're getting with sieges. So when you start looking at all those environments, security has a lot of similarities. They're based on some, they're based on some of the, the stand, they're based on standards, but there's still intricacies and differences in all and so by, and also physical security. So by having worked in an environment where we delivered services as a, a government and commercial, both government and commercial customers, then I was able to work and you know, I was a, we were a horizontal delivery of security across vertical industries. And so there were times when I might be doing HIPAA work because that was what was needed in security assessments or best practices or data security. So I was doing HIPAA work or I might be off working on the, the F-22 project or working on doing FBI types of security. And so when you, because I was able to get that experience working across so many verticals and had to learn the regulatory compliance and just best practices and how to, to look for and know how to look for threats and profiles and just be able to be a practitioner in all of those areas. And then county government also allowed me to build my first security operations center for the company and then to do the security operations for the company as well from within that facility. Um, then it was a, then you know, already knew what SOC was like. I knew the benefits of it. And so when I came to the city of San Antonio, if I needed to work over in the public safety space, I could pull from that experience. When I needed to do the HIPAA work and go out and do HIPAA assessments, I could pull from that space. And I was also the director of a large hospital group here in San Antonio as well. So I still had that HIPAA experience under my belt as well. But yeah, it's hard to sometimes go in. And if you've been working in banking, then you're really good at understanding all the banking regulations, but you've never really dealt in some of the other spaces. And there's a big difference in public safety security than there is even in healthcare and those types and pulling that all together and then go payment card industry and you've got a whole nother layer. So it's been fun. And yeah, I'm just really glad that I got to be rounded in security and not just focused in one area working for the Fortune 500. Yeah, that is a lot of fantastic experience that you were able to build out. And 
I know the folks in San Antonio are definitely ben- benefiting from all your hard work and 18 hour day, 18 hour days. So uh, <laughs> Craig, 18 hour days, come on. So I know you're pretty passionate about working with the internship program and building out a pipeline of cyber stars. Could you just maybe tell the audience about the program and your top highlights that I hope would inspire other cities, counties, states, you name it, to start their own? happens to be Navy, retired Navy as well, but he and I both coming up through the military and always having that, those mentors and that could help us. And when you went to a new command, you had to hit the ground running, but there was always hopefully a warrant officer or someone there or chief that could come alongside you. And so have us, with both of us having had that experience, it was like, how do we bring that to the cyberspace within San Antonio? And so the city already had an ambassador program or internship programs. And even prior to building the RSOC, I had been doing internship programs with local high schools that had kids that were doing cyber. And then in the summer, I would bring them on as interns. And so we're like, well, then let's put in a mutual aid type of concept with an internship program. So we started working with local universities. And we would, we, so like the first group that, the first group of young people, young adults that we brought in, we had them on a six, we have them on a six month program. And so they were getting most of their basics and a lot of their certifications from the university. But then Sonny, who is my RSOC manager, he helped create a curriculum with the university so that when they came into the RSOC and we put them, we started them with an interview process. What would it be like to interview for a job? Because some of them, they, they went right out of high school. They've never been through that job interview process. So we start them there, then they get selected. And then through this curriculum, when they, when they do weekly check-ins, we meet with their sponsors at the university as well. And then when they finish, they get a cybersecurity analyst certificate through the university. And so while they're here, they're learning processes and tools. And, and when we're actively working on something, then they get to be right there involved. And the senior engineers will come alongside of them and train them. And they'll come in and they'll talk, they'll talk with me and I'll try to mentor them personally as well. So we've been very successful. I've had one that was hired by NSA. I've had one that is now with Mania. I have one that, two, two that are with the city that have gotten other jobs within the city. One that is on, one of my interns is actually on my cyber team, but getting ready to go over to the physical security team for a little bit more experience. And so and the others are, they're at other locations. I just can't remember right now exactly where they, where, where they went. But so far, every intern that we've had has stayed in the security space and they're, they say that they're very excited to get and learn what they were able to learn. And so I think we have that opportunity. And I think we owe it to that next generation of cyber warriors to not just give them books and things to learn from, but to give them real world experience. And there is never a boring day at a large city. And so they get plenty of experience here. And it's just a pleasure to be able to work with them and see them smile and come in and tell me, well, I hate to leave, but I've just gotten this awesome job. So it's just real exciting for me. When they say that, does that take you back 
Does that take you back a couple of years? Oh, yeah. Except when they show me their offer and I tell them, Craig, I need more money. <laughs> Craig, did you hear that? She needs more money. That's really funny. Yeah, especially in this job market. Yeah. So you must go to you must go to Craig a lot because the job market is that tough. No, I'll give him so he can help me get the get good salaries for the people I'm hiring. No, I love that. That's awesome. Kind of curious. There are some top books that come to mind for you that that you maybe would love to share with the audience. The number one book for me is the Bible. I just, that's just the book that I go to for my leadership style. I hand me another brick, a book about Nehemiah. So when I say servant leadership, that's the one that I go to. But then of course I read a lot of reports. I don't want to say I read as many books on cyber as I do. I read all of the, right now I'm going through all the 2022 analytical reports. I do a lot of, get a lot of good material from Gartner. And so, and then, let's see, I guess the one that I'm actually reading now is the business ethics field guide. Okay. So making sure that we build business ethics into everything that we do, because cyber is not just about keeping the bad guy out. It's also working with the employees and users and making sure that everything we do is in an ethical manner, because we don't want to step over any of, we have a lot of we have a lot of responsibility, but we also have a lot of power when it comes to the networks and the things we can see and do. And so I, that's why I think this ethics guide is really good. So that's the current one that I'm going through. I love that. I'm definitely going to read the Bible. The business ethics, I don't know if I'll read that. but <laughs> <laughs> So I was in Orlando this past week, and I had kind of a happy hour with this gal named Andrea Sherwood. And I promised that I would introduce her to you. You will really like her. So she's the director of cybersecurity governance, risk management, and compliance for NBC Universal. And it'll be smart. She also leads the chapter for the C-suite for Christ in Orlando. And so I was like, oh, the two of you have to connect. So that was on my, that was on my list of things to connect you with. So I know I owe that email because I already told her, I was like, do you know Patsy? Have you two met? It's, you guys are like distant cousins. And she was like, no, I've never heard of her. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do that after this, but this was a ton of fun. Patsy, where can folks find you? Is it LinkedIn, Twitter, nowhere? <laughs> well, I, we're... I do have a LinkedIn account. I don't do social media. So security, as a security person, I just stay off of social media. But you can also find me at patsyboozer at sanantoni.gov if you wanted to email me. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's great. And since Patsy's not on, really on social media, that's okay. You can just follow Tech Tables because you'll be able to listen to this podcast and that's how you're going to get that. So thank you, Patsy, for coming on. I really appreciate the time. You're welcome and thank you. You're listening to The Public Sector Show by Tech Tables, a podcast dedicated to sharing human-centric stories from CIOs and technology leaders across the city, county, state, and federal agencies, joining in the conversation and touching the hearts and minds of leaders across technology today. From mission-driven leadership to cloud, AI to cybersecurity, workforce challenges, and more, never miss insights from peers and vendor partners across the public sector. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to techtables.com and drop an email to subscribe. New podcast episodes come out every Tuesday and Thursday, along with weekly behind the mic newsletter. And one of today's podcast sponsors is Tech Tables Plus, an engaging new community where you can have early access to never before released episodes, early access to live event recordings, 
early access to weekly three interesting learnings, early access to live event ticket purchases, no episode ads, and more, plus three extra special bonuses when you sign up today. Bonus number one, access to the CEO show. Bonus number two, access to the higher ed show. And bonus number three, access to the digital show. Join Tech Tables Plus today. As always, thank you for supporting the Tech Tables Network.